hide his feelings. Among other things, the ambassador was, once again, late, almost forty-five minutes late. Sheikh never arrived at scheduled meetings on time, and Jadi viewed such chronic procrastination as a personal insult and an indisputable sign of weakness. The general despised weakness of any kind. Jadi was the antithesis of weak. He dressed simply, combat fatigues, black jump boots, and a black beret. He adhered to an exacting code, part Bedouin, part military, part Wahhabist tradition. His was a way of life that prized the demanding desert virtues of moderation and modesty, of hard work and harsh discipline, of commitment to Allah and rigorous self-denial. It required of him an unwavering willingness to endure danger, sacrifice, and hardship. He lived by that code and presumed one day to die by it. He wasn't sure what drove the wealthy Saudi sitting next to him. From Jari's point of view, his mustache was too impeccably trimmed, his hair too elaborately coiffed. He was too handsome, too smooth, too charming for Jari to ever trust him. Nor did the general approve of Sheikh's attire. Most officials favored traditional Arab garb. They covered their heads with the keffiyeh and their bodies with the long white thob or robe, or in his case, a military uniform. Sheikh instead wore a brioni suit, pure escorial jet black, Jadi recognized it because once an enterprising American reporter named Julie Jules Meredith had photographed Sheikh wearing the exact same attire, then published a story in the New York Journal World on his sartorial self-indulgence. The reporter identified each article of clothing and each piece of jewelry. She had then added up the dollar value of Sheikh's ensemble. The total came to over 871000 thousand dollars. When Jules Meredith told the prince the cost of his couture, then asked if such extravagance was not unseemly in the face of so much poverty in the Islamic world, Sheikh was disdainfully defiant. I see myself as an exemplar of excellence, a role model for the masses, a standard of conduct and behavior which, if they were wise, they would strive to emulate. I therefore do not hold myself to your bourgeois rules and protocols. But should you flaunt your wealth so blatantly when your people live lives of such deprivation? Jules Meredith asked. If the wretched of earth wish finer apparel, they should work harder. Is that how you came to own a limo plated in twenty-four karat gold? Hard work and rugged individualism? I own three... Why? Is something wrong with that? Isn't such ostentation in poor taste? Not at all. I deserve no less. The ambassador then treated the reporter to his most scintillating smile and gales of derisive laughter. Still, the article had smarted. The ambassador had once told General Jari it had inspired him to buy a plurality interest in the New York Journal world. At the very least, he could exert some control over that Meredith bitch.
as he had referred to her. If I have my way, Sheikh had later told the general, I'll make her life a living hell. Reaching across the table for the coffee service, the suit's silk sleeve slid up Sheikh's wrist, and Jari glimpsed the platinum Rolex Oyster Perpetual with emerald-cut diamonds beneath the French cuff. Its gold links glittered with nine-carat diamonds. How many child slaves died in Sierra Leone's bloody mines harvesting those stones? Jari wondered. How many underage sweatshop laborers did it take to stitch those clothes? Now Sheikh was pouring coffee out of the sterling silver carafe into a white china cup, to which he added cream and four teaspoons of sugar. Putting it to his mouth, he winced, unable to imbibe the strong bitter.